Hey everybody, it's me, Brian Nemhauser, HawkBlogger, HawkBlogger.com, at HawkBlogger on Twitter, slash HawkBlogger on Facebook, and as always, just Brian, if you ever see me in person, should you be so lucky? Um, No, (laughs) just kidding. I'm not Cam Newton. I am not a cocky asshole, so... Uh, if you do ever see me or want to see me or talk to me, I will be friendly. I will be humble. I will be um, glad to see you and hopefully happy to share a drink, uh, share a memory, and maybe, just maybe, talk about this latest crazy Seahawks win. This lucky Seahawks win. You know what's funny is... Luck plays a role in so many of the great championship moments. And, you know, it's it's rarely discussed. It's often forgotten. And you're damn right the Seahawks were lucky that Blair Walsh missed a short field goal. He will probably never miss a field goal of that length with that much on the line in his career. But he did. And the only reason that it mattered was because the Seahawks held the Vikings to nine points for the other 59 minutes of the game. And because they held the league's leading rusher to his second worst rushing performance in his career when he's had at least 20 carries and because they forced a turnover from Adrian Peterson who has a career you know who has a tendency to fumble while they with their third string street free agent practice squad running back outgained Adrian Peterson and did not fumble the ball. None of those things are luck, but yes, because they did all those things, because they were steady under pressure, because they are a team that has had some of the most improbable victories in the history of the NFL in just the last few years. They made it matter. They made Blair Walsh's kick matter. And that ultimately led to a victory. And you know what? So be it. People can call it whatever they want. They can um, try to undermine it, belittle it. But the reality is is those teams are all going to have to beat this Seattle Seahawks team if they want to advance. And 
I got to tell you, folks, that was exactly the game that I expected to see. Maybe exactly is the wrong word because, you know, there's always, obviously always little bits and pieces that are, are different than maybe what you thought. I thought the Seahawks offense would do a little bit more than that. Not a lot. 17 points was what I had in mind. They only ended up with 10. But I knew this this game Everything about it screamed that this was going to be the game that was going to be hard to get past. This was going to be the game where people were going to be wringing their hands saying, I can't believe they beat this team 38-7. to They're so much better than this team. They've got Teddy Bridgewater at quarterback. How could this team be beating or competing with a Seahawks team that is so much more clearly talented and just a better overall squad. It was destined to happen. It, every every sign I looked at pointed in that direction. And so for me, I, I 100%, 100% am on the same page with Pete Carroll where it is, don't make me analyze that game. There's nothing to learn from that game. That was about survival. That was about making it past however you could, make it through that game, get to the next week, and then the real fun starts. And I don't know how long I'm going to be on with you tonight. I had a nice dinner with my boss tonight at Daniel's Broiler. Uh, down there in Lake Union, have a fantastic porterhouse steak in my belly, along with all sorts of other goodies. But I felt compelled to get on before I went to bed tonight because, honestly, I'm not going to be able to spend enough time to write an article tonight. I'll probably write one in the morning, but I was feeling a little salty, and I felt the need to share it with all of you. And I'm feeling salty because partially the Vikings game and, you know, the the blowback about how people handle that or or don't. But more than that, it's 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 this Panthers game. I cannot stand Cam Newton. I cannot stand the persona of this Vikings team. I don't even really like Ron Rivera. And it doesn't really it doesn't reach the level of hatred, the sports hate I had for Jim Harbaugh and Colin Kaepernick. But I definitely dislike Cam Newton more than I dislike anybody in the NFC West. And one of the things that's increased, amplified that distaste for Cam Newton is this really odd phenomenon where if you don't like Cam Newton and you call out his preening after he gets a first down and waits and then throws his hand forward and flashes those pearly whites or whether he he pulls back his costume to reveal his Superman underoos or his dabbing or whatever he does to bring attention to himself in a way that it's just 
different. It is hard to articulate, but it is different than someone celebrating a great play, being excited. It is, look at me. I am better than you. I am cocky. I'm arrogant. I am above my team. I am above my opponents. It is just... It's the same feeling I get when I watch someone like Julian Edelman. After every catch he makes, he goes and talks shit to his defensive back that was covering him. He acts like he is God's gift to football. I find that incredibly obnoxious. But, God forbid you say anything negative about Cam Newton or about the way he presents himself because you will be called a racist. I know this from firsthand knowledge. I've made those comments on Twitter. I have been vilified for being a racist because I don't like Cam Newton's preening. And it is a odd phenomenon that guess what? As I said, I don't like Julian Edelman's preening. I don't like Colin Kaepernick's preening when he kisses his biceps. It has nothing to do with race. It has to do with character. It has to do with leadership. It has to do with dignity and respect. And just the way that you handle yourself. And Cam Newton comes across as someone who is about himself, someone who honestly is just high on his own supply. And I find that obnoxious, and I I don't see anything about that that has to do with race. And and in some ways, I actually think it's offensive (laughs) to black people to say that Acting like a dumbass, acting like an arrogant ass, is black. That's, I have plenty of black friends, and maybe that's an overstatement. <laughs> I'm a white guy, a middle-aged white guy that lives in the suburbs of Seattle, but I do have no shortage of folks that I'm friends with that are black and they act incredibly humble and intelligent and no different than anyone else I might interact with. And when I see someone like Russell Wilson or Warren Moon or Doug Baldwin or um, Cam Chancellor, Bobby Wagner, I mean, you can go on down the line. There's There's no shortage of people that play this game that are black and are humble and are excellent at what they do and are recognized for what they do without having to call attention to themselves in such an obvious and arrogant way. So I've got no love. There's no love lost for me with Cam Newton. Uh, You know, that said... It doesn't keep me from understanding that he is 
deserving of the MVP award. I personally would more lean towards Carson Palmer just because I think what he's done is harder than what Cam Newton's done. But I have no real problems with Cam Newton being the MVP. He's had an outstanding year. He is an incredible athlete. To be his height, his size, 250, 260 pounds at quarterback, to be fast, to be strong, he's he's a very unique weapon. And so he absolutely is a tall order, especially when you get down in the red zone. He's a very unique weapon. But this idea that the Panthers are 15-1 and or some sort of juggernaut, Please. I mean, please. We're talking about a team that features Ted Ginn Jr., Jericho Cotchery, you know, Corey Williams at receiver, Devin Funches. I mean, look. Ted Ginn Jr. has speed. He will beat you deep if you're not careful. No doubt about it. But, I mean, come on, folks. This is not a talented group of receivers. Uh, Greg Olson. God, everybody's like this narrative of the Seahawks can't cover a tight end. Come on. Like, if the Seahawks want to take away the tight end, they can take away the tight end. That's not the issue. Um, If you want, take a look at what Greg Olson has done over his career against the Seahawks. So you go back to when Greg Olson went to Carolina. And in 2012, he played the Seahawks and had... Two catches for 37 yards. No touchdowns. 2013, he played the Seahawks. He had five catches for 56 yards and no touchdowns. You go to 2014, he played the Seahawks. He had one catch for 16 yards and no touchdowns. Now, he did have a good playoff game against uh, the Seahawks when he was with Chicago, but... Uh, Last year in the playoffs, four catches, 58 yards, no touchdowns. His only decent game against the Seahawks came earlier this year, and it was a good one. He had seven catches, 131 yards, and a touchdown. It's a great game. Congratulations, Greg Olson. I'm really not that concerned about Greg Olson. If Pete Carroll wants to eliminate Greg Olson from the Panthers' attack, guess what? Greg Olson will get eliminated. The Seahawks have enough weapons in the secondary to apply to whoever they want to remove from the Panthers' passing attack to effectively accomplish that. Now, Cam Chancellor, he's a guy that in the past has been someone you could apply to a tight end and really erase them. He's had some challenges. I'm not going to be rose-colored glasses about it. I mean, I understand that there are some things to work through there. But, I mean, the Seahawks could go as far as assigning Richard Sherman to guarding Greg Olson. It's not a crazy 
super crazy concept. It's probably not going to happen, but they could do something like that. I think that you've got a guy in Ted Ginn Jr. that's got 10 touchdowns this year and is a huge part of where Cam Chancellor, sorry, Cam Newton, looks to go for big plays. I would love to see Richard Sherman wipe Ted Ginn Jr. off the books. He is a mediocre, at best, receiver. He is a one-trick pony. And he, if you see the games he's had, he has eaten crappy cornerbacks alive. He destroys the New Orleans Saints and their historically bad secondary. Credit Cam Newton, credit Tegan Jr. for doing that. But don't tell me that those guys are somehow world beaters because they're just not. So understand that Cam Newton, other than a single quarter against the Seahawks, a single quarter, has a passer rating in the 60s against the Seahawks. The first three quarters of this first game where the Panthers won, Cam Newton had a 15.5 passer rating against the Seahawks. Case Keenum played better against the Seahawks for most of that game. Nick Foles played better against the Seahawks than Cam Newton did. Cam Newton had two long drives in the fourth quarter that were greatly aided by the presence of Kerry Williams, who is able to pick on, and Cam Newton has shown a propensity this year, and good for him, he's shown some wisdom and some growth, that when he finds a weak spot in the secondary, he is merciless about attacking it. And the Seahawks had one of those weak spots. They no longer have a weak spot like that. Not that Deshaun Shedd is a shutdown corner or Jeremy Lane is either, but they are not weak. So every throw is going to be earned. Every yard is going to be earned. And Cam Newton is going to have to persevere the entire game this time. And he is going to have some additional courage and confidence gained from persevering in the first game when he did struggle for three quarters and found a way to come through in the end. One of the big differences is he's not going to be facing a defense that has the flaws that that one did. Another big difference is he's not going to potentially have that kind of time to author a comeback. This Seahawks offense put up points on that Panthers defense before they really had found the rhythm and found what worked for them. This Panthers defense has lost two of their top three cornerbacks, Bene Ben Wickery and, and Charles Tim Tillman. It might be Ben Wickier. I can't honestly say. They're both out. So you've got Robert McClain, who's five foot nine. You've got Cortland Finnegan, who is both of these guys were street free agents, and they're gonna be guarding 
Jermaine Curse, Tyler Lockett, Doug Baldwin, and whomever else the Seahawks decide to put out there at receiver. Decided advantage there. Now, the Panthers' defensive line is strong, and um, I think that's, let's be honest, Charles Johnson did not play in that first game. He's a quality player. I don't believe Jared Allen played in that first game. So those are two additional weapons that the Panthers are going to bring to bear on the defensive line in this game against the Seahawks. But neither one of them have been playing that well. The Panthers are still in the you know middle to bottom half of the league in sack rate, so they're not a high-pressure team. Kawan Short is fantastic player, and he's been making a, a, a big difference for them from a pass rush perspective. But they don't have great pass rush solutions other than Kawan Short. So there's a real chance the Seahawks are going to have some opportunity to make some throws. You've got teams like the Saints that are putting up 38 points. You've got teams like the Giants that are putting up 35 points. You've got the Falcons that put up plenty themselves. Um, and people still, it doesn't sink in, and you see the game last week where the Seahawks scored 10 points, and it's easy to forget. The Seahawks are, if they're not the best offense in the NFL, they're one of the top three offenses in the NFL this year. And that's not blowing smoke. That is statistically objective view of what the Seahawks have done from a yardage, yards per play, yards per throw, yards per carry, um, efficiency in the passing game, top-rated passer, fourth-rated rushing team. This is an incredibly potent offense and an offense that can put up a bunch of points. And you've got a Panthers offense that has also been potent, but guess what? It has been highly dependent on turnovers created by the defense. And I'm going to do a little bit more analysis, if I can, this week on just how much of their scoring has come off of turnovers and off of short fields. But this is a front runner. That's what they are. They're the team that loves to be ahead and loves to just feel dominant and and behave in a way that that not my most articulate moment let's admit that but this is a front-running team <laughs> and I think that when you really look at it when they're challenged when they're in a dogfight they're uncomfortable and in four of the five times that the Seahawks have played them, when the moment of truth arrives, and it always arrives, they have buckled. They have turned the ball over. They have made a crucial mistake. They have given up a crucial touchdown. And the Seahawks have repeatedly been the team to do exactly what was necessary in those moments so i am not convinced by the panthers 15 and 1 record i am not convinced 
by Cam Newton's soon-to-be MVP award. I'm not convinced by the Panthers having one good quarter against the Seahawks out of four years. What I will give the Panthers tons of credit on is their run game is for real. It is varied. It is creative. It is tough. Jonathan Stewart, for my money, outside of Marshawn Lynch, the hardest runner the Seahawks face. Obviously, they don't face Marshawn Lynch, but he is physical. He is persistent. He's very good. Cam Newton, very good in what he does, and they're creative in how they use him. Mike Tolbert has his benefits and how they can use him. So that's a real challenge. And this is a team that's had over 100 yards rushing every game of the year. So the Seahawks' number one ranked rushing defense that just shut down Adrian Peterson for the second time in two games, they're going to have their hands full. But I think they're in really good position to make that tough because guess what? When they faced the the Panthers the first time, they didn't have Bobby Wagner in the middle. They did not have K.J. Wright on the week. They had K.J. Wright in the middle. They had Kevin Pierre-Lewis on weak side, and that went so poorly that Kevin Pierre-Lewis hasn't really even played since then. Even when there was other injuries, they played Mike Morgan instead of playing Kevin Pierre-Lewis, and they kept K.J. Wright at weak. So... That was a pretty big difference. Jordan Hill did not play in the first game. Frank Clark did not play in the first game. Jeremy Lane did not play in the first game. Marcus Burley, Brock Coyle. These guys didn't play in the first game for the Seahawks. And each of them has a pretty significant role to play. So there's plenty of reason to have confidence about what the Seahawks are going to do heading into this game. I, you know, it is Tuesday, and I have all of my analysis ahead of me, but every fiber of my being is telling me this is going to be a game the Seahawks win. I don't usually come out and say things like that. I don't like to tempt fate. I don't like to do predictions. There's a few cases I did. I very clearly last week I came out and said I thought this was going to be a really tough game against the Vikings. I said, you know, I thought 17 points would be enough to win it. That was the magic number. Certainly it wouldn't have been. It would have been. So I was right in that regard. Um, Plenty of people said they thought it was going to be a a blowout again. And and it wasn't. I, you know, I came out before the Super Bowl um, two years ago and said the Seahawks are going to score 40 points and they were going to win comfortably. Um, I came out before the Saints game in 2010 in the playoffs and said the 7-9 and nine Seahawks are going to beat the defending Super Bowl champion and Saints. And I gave my reasons why. And same thing when the Red Hot 49ers were coming into town in 2013 to face the Seahawks in the NFC Championship. And... Everybody said, this 49ers team looks unbeatable. 
based on, I think they'd even just destroy the Panthers, case in point. But I believe there are a number of factors that are in favor of the Seahawks. I believe Marshawn Lynch is going to come back this week. I think he's going to play. I think of all the games, of all the matchups they could have the rest of the season, this is the one that he matters most. Luke Keekley is a freaking beast. He is so good. So good. He is incredibly rare at his position. And the amount of plays he finds a way to be a part of is, is almost impossible. I, I mean, in coverage, in run support, wide runs, inside runs, he's a he's tough in tackling, he's tough in coverage. I mean, he's just he's a rare player, especially at linebacker, to be that impactful. Thomas Davis, friggin' fantastic linebacker. Kwan Short's great. They've got they've got all sorts of things that are really impressive on that Panthers team. Josh Norman's a good cornerback. I'm not convinced he is the world beater that he's you know been made out to be. I think he's had a very nice year. But all that said, I think this game is going to come down to a Panthers group that is uncomfortable being challenged the way the Seahawks are going to challenge them. I think it's going to come down to a Seahawks team that has options available to it offensively that they haven't before, That they at least that they haven't when they played the Panthers before. I think they are going to make the plays down the stretch that the Panthers will be unable to. I think Cam Newton is going to make crucial mistakes in this game, um, or at least one, but I, I think it's going to be more than one. And I see the Seahawks winning this game. And I think once the Seahawks win this game, I absolutely see them winning the next game. We'll have to go and obviously take one at a time, but um, that's that's the that's the you guys turn it you tune in and listen to all the the blather from me um, over the the years, and I try to be straight with you when I can and. I will be the guy that tells you, look, this is not looking good. There's a reason this won't work out. But I, what I can always promise you is I'm going to give you my honest, independent voice that is not based off what anyone else is saying, but based off of my 30 years of being a Seahawks fan and watching football and you know my number of years, eight years, nine years of blogging and researching and deciphering what factors matter and in, in creating winners from losers. And I think this Panthers team is primed for a fall. And I think the Seahawks are the perfect team to take them down. And I can't wait to see it. I cannot wait to see it because I just, 
I don't think that teams like the Panthers are built to win championships. I think teams like the Panthers um, need to be humbled. And one of the the less appreciated, one of the, the lesser, one of the least appreciated parts of the Seahawks' rise to a championship team was their ability to go through a seven and nine and a seven and nine year, 2010, 2011, and to struggle in the beginning of the 2012 season before they rose. That adversity forged a certain level of willpower and perseverance that a team like the 49ers, I felt, really never had under Jim Harbaugh. They immediately experienced success and never really faced adversity until they had a really tough opponent in the Seahawks and ultimately weren't able to stand up to that. So maybe Carolina surprises me. Maybe I've got got it wrong. Would not be the first time or the last. But I felt compelled to come on tonight and at least share with all of you one, that Cam Newton's a douche. <laughs> and whether he wins or loses, I will always be cheering against that guy. Two, that this Seahawks team is, is going to win this game. They're going to win this game, and it's going to be a fantastic moment, and it's going to be a continuation of what is becoming one of the greatest stretches in Seahawks franchise history. That's what I believe is ahead of us. So I will add more. I will continue to dig, and maybe I am not above after I've learned more information, re-evaluating my position. Because as any good leader would tell you, you only make a new decision after you've got more information. And I may new learn something new that changes my mind. But as of now, I see a Carolina team with the fourth worst schedule in the NFL that played in, played pansies in their division with some of the worst defenses in history and were able to pile up big numbers as a result and I think their hubris is going to be what eventually brings them down along with Seahawks talent and experience so with that I will bid you adieu I'm going to go get some sleep and I'll be back with you. Check the blog. There's going to be plenty up there over the course of the week. And uh, as always, go Hawks.